And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has, sorry, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Thank you, Jason, for reading that. Uh, it was a long passage for you, so thank you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Pastor Nate asked me if I would fill in for him, and he said, you can preach as long as I'm gone. And so he gets back on Saturday night, so we're just going to go for about six days. No, <laughs> not at all, not at all. Uh, <clears throat> we are still in Mark. Uh, what Jason has just read is the passage of Scripture we'll be looking at. Uh, before we look at it together, why don't we stop and ask the Lord to... Uh, enlighten us through your spirit. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the testimony of the words we just sang uh, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Thank you especially that as we sit here, <clears throat> we have a clear view of uh, Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. Thank you that his sacrifice was enough for us and that when we trust him, we can be forgiven. We can become your sons and daughters. We can look forward to the glory of spending eternity with you in heaven. So would you help that to be our focus this morning? On you and on your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, why don't you go to Mark chapter 4, verse 21. That's where we'll start. <clears throat> Mark started hit this chapter. Uh, with the parable of the sower, and we looked at that last week. Today we're going to encounter four more parables. Uh, really snazzy title, four more parables. That's just what they are. <laughs> so uh, as we go through these, uh, we'll, we'll end with kind of what Jesus is going for in this section of Mark. So you just kind of have to hang on to the end. Towards the end, we'll, we'll tie it all together. So All right, just a review, parables are, are simply a story about everyday life, which Jesus used to teach those listening about the kingdom of God. But there is a twist, so look at Mark 4, 11 and 12. <clears throat> Mark records this, he says, to them, Jesus says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, 
But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So Nate reminded us last week, the parables reveal, reveal two groups of people, these outsiders, those outside, and the disciples, the insiders. These two groups have very different reactions to the parables of Jesus. Insiders, those receiving the secret of the kingdom of God, they have been given the knowledge about the secret of the kingdom. That is, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Remember how Mark started his gospel. This is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The insiders have been given that knowledge, and they understand Jesus' message in Mark 1.15 that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom has come near. Outsiders, everything to them is parables. It's difficult to understand who Jesus is and why he's there. And it leads to misunderstanding who Jesus is and what he's doing. So we see all of that in Jesus' own words about why he's using parables. And then we see that in the way that he talks in the first parable, this parable of the sower, where the sower goes out and he scatters seed, which is the word of God, and it falls on four different types of soils. And on three of the soils, it doesn't take root. It doesn't come to fruition. In fact, it is dead. These outsiders can't make sense of the appearance of Jesus. So either because of their hardness of heart, because of persecution, or because of the cares of the world, they don't grasp the reality of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. But the insiders... They are those who see what Jesus is doing and saying as confirmation of who he is, and they gladly accept the word of God, and they bear fruit. That's how he started this chapter, and that's how he went through the first parable, and guess what? We're going to see those same themes come out in these next four parables, who Jesus is and what effect does his appearing have. So let's start with the first one, the lamp. Verse 21, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, uh, in your translations, we have an issue. Because in verse 21, our translations don't actually help us uh, catch what Mark is saying. Mark, well, the ESV reads it this way. Is a lamp brought? But the problem here is what Mark quite literally wrote is, is the lamp come? All right, so you're asking, what's the difference? What's the difference? So <clears throat> the, the difference is this. There's a verb, brought versus come. Is, is a lamp brought or is the lamp come? So in Matthew and Luke's account of the same parable, the lamp is brought. They use the Greek word that's commonly, commonly translated to bring. But Mark, who has the same word available to him, he chose a different word. He certainly could have used brought, but he used a word he has used quite often already in his gospel. So go back to Mark 124 with me. Mark 124. And we're going to see the verb that he uses. Mark 124. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Look forward a couple of verses to verse 38. We'll see it again. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And then again in Mark 2.17, the next chapter, verse 17. 
When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark will use this verse one more time in his gospel at a key moment. Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the verb that Mark chose is to come. So the verse should read, is the lamp come? But lamps don't have the power or the self-awareness to go anywhere on their own. Unless they're living in enchanted castles in France with ferocious beasts, but that's another story. Lamps do not move on their own. They don't move on their own. But Mark says, is the lamp come? So that's the, that's the first difference. The second difference that we see in Mark is that he, when he writes, he puts the definite article in front of lamp, making it not just a lamp or any lamp. Mark writes, is the lamp come? So what definite lamp could Mark have in mind? With our other references in Mark that we read from chapter 1 and chapter 2, the subject is a person. In fact, Jesus himself is a subject. The lamp that has come is Jesus himself. What is Jesus' own message in Mark 1.15? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God was at hand in the person of Jesus. So the lamp, Jesus, has come. And now we, that's what the difference is in our translation. And now we have to ask for what purpose in to answer that question, we have to answer, why does this translation matter? So Mark makes the point, is the lamp come to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So he's asking regular people, this is what the lamp has come for. Has the lamp come to be hidden and obscured? Well, it's helpful to remember a sampling of what we've been reading in Mark. So Mark 1, 23 through 25 says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with unclean spirit. He cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Again, in Mark 1, 43 through 45, After healing the leper, Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Mark two eighteen and 19, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Last one, Mark 3, 11 and 12. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But verse 12, he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So something, something fascinating is happening. The lamp, Jesus has come, but he's being hidden under a basket or under a bed. But still, this light, as it's covered, there's still rays of light that are poking out. It keeps sneaking out through the cracks, and there's a glimpse here and a peek there. So in the references we just read, the demons blurred out who Jesus really is. 
and the religious leaders, they ask questions and they're confronted with questions which if they answered truthfully and honestly, they would identify who Jesus really is. Not, to, not the least of which the sick are healed, the lame walk, the blind see, which should identify who Jesus really is. But at this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus' identity remains unclear to outsiders. But it's growing clearer for insiders, his disciple, his disciples. And look at verse 22. <clears throat> this helps our understanding because Jesus says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. According to this verse, the initial concealing is for the purpose of revealing. The questions regarding the identity of Jesus, who he is, those questions by those around him facilitate the purposes of God to fully and finally reveal Jesus to all. So Mark is highlighting this idea. Though now veiled, there will be a time when the identity of Jesus will be unveiled, and there will be no question, no uncertainty, no obscurity, nothing hidden about who Jesus is. He will be seen as the Messiah, the Son of God, by all, both the insiders and the outsiders. Everyone will see Jesus for who he is. Now, your question probably is, when? When will this take place? And that's a great question. Hold on to that question for just a couple minutes, because the next three parables are going to repeat the same kind of things. So for now, Jesus ends the same way he ended his first parable in 4, in four verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this leads into the next parable. So the next parable is the measure. Verse number 23. <clears throat> Jesus starts the same way he ended. Pay attention to what you hear. So coming off the parable of the sower, coming off the admonition of Jesus to listen and pay attention, after the last parable, he starts the same way <clears throat> because he's going to, again, emphasize the need to hear, to grasp what, wh who he is by listening to the word of God. So this parable is from everyday life in the marketplace. The original audience would have, would have been readily uh, aware of what goes on in the market, buying and selling. And if you bought and sold in the marketplace, you would have a weight or you have a measure. You'd have some way to prove that what you're selling is what you say you're selling. So if you're selling a gallon of water, you would have a measure, you'd have a, a vessel in which there was a mark that said this is a gallon of water. And when someone bought a gallon of water, you would fill that up to that line, and then you and they would know that you sold them a gallon of water. But what if, what if, you were just feeling particularly generous. And so instead of bringing the, the uh, vessel that hold, holds one gallon of water, you brought a vessel that holds a gallon and a half of water. So you filled that up to a gallon and a half, and the person who bought a gallon from you thinks, oh, I just bought a gallon. But you've filled up a gallon and a half, and you give that to them at the same price. That's this kind of parable, all right? So pay attention to what you hear, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. So in plain language, what Jesus is saying, if you listen well to the word of God, if you receive it by faith, that is the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, God will give you more and more understanding, faith, confirmation of who Jesus is. But if you listen and you do not receive with faith, 
but you persist in unbelief, that is, you reject the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, God will cut off your access to this truth, as well as the faith needed to believe. That's what he says in verse 25. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This should remind you of what we just read in verses 11 and 12. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything's in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's the plain understanding of this text. But there's a hard truth here, the real hard truth, because it seems unfair to give more to the one who already possesses and to take away from the one who is already destitute. Who is it who's doing the giving and the taking? He's not named, but it's God. God is the one giving and taking. Because God alone knows the true condition of the soil of the heart. God alone sees the reception of the word, and God alone rightly judges and can rightly give and take. And that's hard. But in these first two parables that we've looked at, the lamp and the measure, we've just encapsulated the first four chapters of Mark. Because the lamp has come. And those who are accepting by faith the identity of Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God, those insiders, they continue to receive more and more confirmation of Jesus' identity, strengthening their faith, helping them to see more and more evidence of his identity. But for those outside, Jesus presents an enigma that cannot be unraveled. Who is this who forgives sins? Who is this who disobeys our Sabbath laws? Who is this who heals the lame, the blind, and lepers? Who is this who eats with sinners and tax collectors? Their understanding, the outsiders, are clouded and obscured and veiled until even the bits that might lead them to the right conclusion, to repentance, instead propel them toward the other extreme. So Mark 2, 6 and 7, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can, for, who can forgive sins but God alone? They asked the question, and if they would just answer it honestly, who can forgive sins but God alone? The answer is Jesus, because he's God. Mark chapter 3, verse 2, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. Remember, Pastor Nate made this point. They weren't questioning, could he do it? They were watching to see if he would do it because they knew he had the power to do it. But instead of watching him heal and then turning to him in faith, look at verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Even, even seeing Jesus heal this man, that the, what they could have used to turned to him and repent was actually taken away from them or taken away from uh, those Pharisees and they went out and they decided to destroy him. So Mark's gospel is illustrating this hiddenness of Jesus' identity but Jesus is saying that this is all according to the plan of God. God is the one giving and taking. God is the one concealing and revealing. So this plan includes the identity of Jesus being hidden at present for the purpose of a future unveiling, 
And again, your question is when? When will he be unveiled? And we got to keep going. Verse number 26, we have the growing seed. Again, this is a perfectly understandable parable in agricultural terms. But Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like, and then he gives the picture of the most unimpressive activity ever. The kingdom of God should be like, it should be like an F-16 flying 100 feet off the deck through the middle of New York City. The kingdom of God should be like the thundering column of Patton's third army blazing through France on the way to Berlin. And the kingdom of God should be like that brilliant flash of light and the terrific destruction at the instant an atom is split. But Mark says, no, the kingdom of God is like a man who went out and scattered seed on the ground. All right? The sower needs the seed. The sower sows the seed into the soil. And then what happens? The, slower, the sower sleeps, and he rises, and then he does it again and again, over and over, day after day, while the seed sprouts and grows. In fact, the whole growth process is automatic from beginning to end. And then when the time is ripe, the sower uses a sickle to harvest the grain. That's the parable. There's two important notes here, two focus to foci that Jesus has. The first is, Jesus did not say that the kingdom is the sower or that the kingdom is the seed or that kingdom is the ground. The first focus of this parable is on the independent growth of the seed. It's automatic. The seed is planted and then the rest is history. <clears throat> it grows, it flowers, all by itself. Now, I know those of you who grow flowers and you plant gardens, you're probably bristling at this thought. It doesn't just grow by itself. You don't just plant a seed in the ground and leave it alone. There's a lot more to it. And I am not, I'm not a planter or a grower, but I get it. But my question still is, does the seed sprout? Does it bud and does it ripen when you decide? Does it grow faster or slower because you tell it to? And on what day do you order it to be full grown and ripe? All right, the growth is imperceptible. In fact, sometimes it's ignored. It's incremental, but it is growing. The seed is hidden in the ground to one day be revealed full grown. That's, a, that's the first focus that Mark has here. The second is that there's a focus on the ripeness to harvest. So as surely as there's sowing, there will be reaping. The planting anticipates the harvesting. So while the sower is seemingly passive in the process, he's not disinterested. He knows there will be a time for harvesting, and he checks on the ripeness of the grain. So with the coming of Jesus and his message, the, t the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. We have the initiation of this parable. And just as surely as Jesus had initiated the kingdom of God, there will come a day of fullness. The initiation anticipates the culmination, even though the long, slow days of imperceptible growth are going on. So again, we're asking, when will this happen? At what point will the kingdom of God come to fruition? We've got one more parable, and then we'll answer that. So the last one is the mustard seed. The final parable is the mustard seed. Jesus is not making a botanical point here. 
Because the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the entire world of seeds. Jesus, Jesus was not his point to point out the smallest seed. He's using a comparison familiar to his audience. In fact, uh, in many commentaries, it seems to be a proverb in the first century or an analogy in the first century. It's as small as a mustard seed. There's evidence that this was common enough for something to be thought very small if whatever it is, if blank were a seed, it would be so small it's like a mustard seed. So I can imagine uh, first century boys, just like first century, or 21st century boys, teasing each other and saying, go ahead and flex. Uh, your muscles look like mustard seeds. <laughs> the ultimate first century put down, all right. But Jesus' point is, look at this tiny seed. Look at this tiny seed. What comes from it? A bush large enough to have birds live in it. So from this tiny little seed, when you planted it, you couldn't even find it, even if you mark the spot. It disappears into the soil. It's obscured. It's hidden. It's gone. But then, but then, it's the biggest bush in the garden. And birds, not just one bird, but many birds are making their home in its branches. So what is the comparison that Jesus is making? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed when sown, minuscule at the point of initiation, but in the end it attains such a significant size that it cannot be ignored. So from unnoticeable to unmistakable, from molehill to mountain, from tiny to towering, from minuscule to monstrous, the focus is on the comparison between the initiation of the kingdom, its littleness, versus the final form of the kingdom, its greatness, do not let the present nature of the kingdom fool you as to the final consummation of the kingdom. It may be hidden and obscure or secret now, but there will be a day when it can no longer be concealed. It will be evident to all. And so we're asking again, when will that day be? All right, we have a comment from Mark, and then we'll answer the question. So Mark's conclusion of the section echoes what he said in verses 11 and 12. So look at verse 33 and 34. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them, that's to those outside, without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, to the insiders, he explained everything. So in speaking about the crowds, Mark says that Jesus spoke to them in parables as they were able to hear. The understanding of the parables depended on the people's reception of Jesus. If they received the teaching with faith, the parables became confirmation of who he, who he was and what he was ushering in. But if they did not believe, they were left in confusion. So what is the purpose of this partial concealing and partial revealing? Why does not Jesus come out with it? Will he ever just once and for all say, here I am? When will that day be? So this is the question that we've been asking all along, that these parables have been pointing to. So when will the lamp be put on the lampstand for all to see? What purpose could God have in applying the measure, truth overflowing to one group, but truth taken away from the other group? When will the culmination be? When will the mustard seed become a bush so large that it cannot be overlooked? There's two answers to this. There's two answers to this, and this is the conclusion. There's the initial answer, and the first answer is it will be on full display when Jesus is crucified, buried, and resurrected. His true identity, the true purpose in coming, will be unmistakable to all who see it. Obscured by a humble birth, 
and formative years, hidden according to the standards of the religious elite of the day, veiled by his physical appearance, all of this for the very purpose of God. And that's what Peter says in Acts chapter 2. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was hidden to be revealed at his crucifixion. And then with his resurrection, Jesus is, according to Romans 1, 4, declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see it at his death and his crucifixion. We see it at his resurrection. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus accomplished this unveiling. Philippians 2, verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He looked just like any other man. But verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So based on his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus' identity and mission are clear and unmistakable to all who believe. Now, you're probably thinking, but not all believe. So that doesn't seem to fit the entire idea that Jesus' identity will be revealed to all. Will there be a time when Jesus' identity is clear and obvious to everyone? You guys are asking great questions. There's a second answer to this. It's the final answer. The unveiling of Jesus Christ will happen when he comes in judgment. Look back at Mark chapter 4, verse 29. In language reminiscent of the Old Testament prophets, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This harvest image in the Old Testament is one associated with judgment. When is this coming? Judgment? that will reveal Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God? Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. Revelation 19, 11-16. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. 
from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There will come a time when Jesus will be revealed unmistakably, unobscured to everyone. It will be a time of judgment. But in the in-between time, what Peter says in 2 Peter is true. 2 Peter 3, 4, Peter says, they will say, scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Again, Jesus hidden, his kingdom hidden. It's growing all the while. And there will be a point when it comes to fruition, it will be a point where it's unobscured, where it's undeniable that this is what the, the kingdom of God is. But in Mark chapter 4, the identity and the mission of Jesus are obscured and hidden and secret from those who do not believe and from those who are out, or f- yeah, for those who do not believe, those who are outside. So here's our application. The question for you and me today is this. It's the same question that Mark started with in Mark, chapter f- in Mark 4, uh, 1 through 9. The question is, are we receiving the word of God? The message about Jesus' identity and mission, are we receiving that with faith? Have you believed that Jesus truly is the Messiah sent to die in your place for your sins? Have you accepted that message for yourself? Do you recognize Jesus as Savior and Lord because of his death and resurrection? Will you listen to the word of God and receive it with a heart of belief and repent of your sins and turn to him? Today is the day of salvation. For those of us who have believed, the question is still relevant. Will we receive the word of God? Will we accept the convicting and rebuking of the Holy Spirit that comes through paying attention to the Word? Or, or are we in danger of being the second and third soil where it takes root and flares up and then dies away? Are you in danger of rejecting the Word of God because of a hard heart or persecution or the cares of the world, in which case you're in danger of living cut off from Jesus the Messiah. Because the implication is clear. There is a judgment coming. There is a reaping that will take place, either at your death or at Christ's appearing. And then, You will see Jesus for who he is, King of kings and Lord of lords, but you will not have the opportunity to repent. It will be too late. He will not come for salvation, but for judgment. So again, Jesus' parables are true. Will we listen to the word of God? That's that's what he's pushing, Mark is pushing us at, that's what... I'm begging us to do as a congregation, listen to the word of God. 
Why don't you bow your heads for a moment? There's some of you who have not made that initial reception of Jesus. You've heard about him. You've heard him preached. You may have sat in Sunday schools. You may have even read your Bible. And yet, you've not mixed the hearing of the Word of God with faith. Will you today, even this moment, do that? Then for those of us who have proclaimed the name of Jesus, have turned to him in salvation, will we continue to listen to the word of God or will we choke it out, go our own way, choose to live apart from him? Father, your kindness to us goes beyond anything that we can imagine, anything that we could ever uh, even express in words. We thank you that you have been kind in sending your son. That as he gives light to the whole world, he has given light to us, that we can read it in your word. So would you protect us from hearing your word and turning away from it? Would you give us hearts to receive it? Would you make us soft and tender to listen to you, your voice through your word, to repent, to follow you? Father, if there's even one in this room that has not made that initial step, would you, would you soften their heart today? Would you cause them to turn to you in salvation? Would you have them share that with their neighbor, their friend, someone that brought them, their parents, or that they would turn to you with everything? Then for those of us who, again, have believed, would you continue to uh, help our understanding of who Jesus is, that we might live for him each moment of the day in obedience to your word for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand with me? There's a couple of announcements we have. Uh, again, just reminding you of some of the things on the screen. <clears throat> uh, two weeks from today, we'll have the Easter Continental Breakfast. Uh, there's sign-ups out, out in the foyer uh, for Lakeshore Fellowships and to bring different things for that. We would love for you to join us at 9.30 that morning, and then we'll have uh, the Easter service to follow. Uh, there is no uh, gospel project this week, but there still is youth group. You, youth group is playing Chuck it this week. And then, uh, again, we're reminding you of the Sunday night service on May 1st. Nate will talk more about that next week uh, when he's back. Uh, we have a new quarter of ABF starting, so here's just a couple of reminders of the classes that are going on. True Seekers are across the hall 
there in the, conf- in the uh, community room, and they'll have uh, worldviews, false religions, and cults. Grace Life is down the hallway with Isaiah, uh, the book of Isaiah. Builders are behind this uh, partition there in bibliology and theology proper, and then Living Stones will have the gospel and how to read your Bible. So if you, we would love, again, we would love for you to stay, stick around for ABF. It's a great way to, to get to know people and to get invested in the church. So my admonition, or my encouragement for you today is that you will listen to the Word of God. You'll listen to it and listen to it and listen to it with faith. Thank you.